0: can you all hear me? Yes? Can you? Okay. okay. <laughs> there we go. Good morning, my manual family. For those who don't know, my name is Jess Smith, and normally on a Sunday morning, you will find me in the teens room, um, along with the other leaders, Liv, Jaden, and Taylor. But today, I'd like to start off by saying not only thank you to God, but to thank you to the manual leaders for entrusting Liv, Brett, and I with this amazing opportunity to just stand in front and speak to you all this morning. And I remember our, our previous Next Gen Sunday, and Greg had a nice little break, and some of our friends in our young adults community stood up here and amazingly preached. And I remember sitting there being like, those are some very big shoes to fall. Um, so I actually thought I'd be a little bit more nervous than I am. But as Cam said, I'm really experiencing this peace of God So this morning. So I would like to be honest with you this morning. God put something very specific on my heart to share. And so I started writing my preach. And I was actually nearly done. And then I felt God say at some point, rewrite it. I was like, what? <laughs> I just poured so much time and energy into this. And I was like, okay, okay. And after a lot of wrestling on my side, I surrendered to the fact that clearly God has something very specific that he likes our hearts and our ears to receive. Um. And trust me, if I could say everything that God put in my heart, we would be here for a while. But So Jesus helped me to condense it, and so I'm very excited to get into it. In the book of Daniel, we are told about a story where Daniel and three other Jewish friends, um, along, along with uh, some other Babylonian citizens, were taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, who wanted to expand his empire to be the greatest and biggest they'd ever been. I don't have time to explain everything that happened in that story. But basically, everyone there was forced to worship King Nebuchadnezzar as their ruler and God. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that in their day-to-day lives, these Jewish men worshipped God by singing songs of praise. But in this situation here, they're displaying a different type of worship. As everyone began bowing down to King Nebuchadnezzar, these faithful men of God, Daniel and his three Jewish friends, refused confidently to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar, despite there being deathly consequences. I'm going to pause you in the story. If you want to know how the story ends, I suggest, and I encourage you to go read it. It's quite an awesome read. Um, But here in the story, we are shown a very powerful display of what it means to worship one God and one God only. They knew, just like Jesus did when he came out of the desert after 40 days and Satan tried to convince him, like there's this guy I know he's talking to, um, to worship him, Satan, instead of God. But Jesus' reply in Luke 4.8 is, For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I don't know if you can agree with me, but I'm sure um, that these Jewish men show us how God wants us to worship Him and serve Him in our lives, no matter what trial, temptation or lie the world throws at us. So this brings me to what God put in my heart, and He basically starts by saying, your Heavenly Father says thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your beautiful worship here each and every Sunday. And I was like... Sure, God, we'll do. We'll tell them that. And then I sensed him say like, oh, and I was like, right, you aren't done speaking. Please do carry on. And he said, ask them to consider if they're bringing that same type of worship out of these four walls. As in ask ask them to consider if they're worshiping me, God, wherever they go, in whatever they're doing, whomever they're with. I've titled today's message, Whole Week Worship. Okay, I've never used this, so it's going to be fun. Okay. I titled it this because I have a feeling God is wanting to assess our hearts and our choices in our day-to-day lives. To see if we're choosing to worship Him or if we're worshiping ourselves and the things of this world. In Matthew 6, 24, we are clearly told, we cannot be a slave of two masters. We cannot worship both God and money. And some translations say possessions. But the fact of the matter is that we do have this choice. And guess what? (laughs) The enemy knows you have this choice. So he uses everything he has to take your worship. But I've got some good news for us. We need to constantly remind ourselves that God is our one, true, all-powerful God who is worthy of our praise. He sent Jesus to die while we were still sinners and deserved death and saved us from everything, including death, through the resurrection of Jesus and for this reason he is the one who is worship of our who is worthy of our praise but god revealed to me that the word worship is well worship in general shall i say is a lot more than just singing songs of praise upon doing more research into the word worship i came across i think it was around like 182 Translations in Greek and Hebrew. So let's get started with number one. Um, (laughs) Number one I chose was the Greek word latria, which is associated with both service and sacrifice when directed towards God. And homologia, which means when worshippers frequently spend some or all of their time declaring their faith and the truths about God, praising God, and thanking God. So the three words that stand out for me to explain what worship is, it's praise, service, and sacrifice. In Romans 12:1, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of all the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. This implies that we are encouraged to surrender to God our whole life, Not just our Sunday mornings, but our whole week. Whole week worship is the kind that pleases God. We see this in Hebrews 13, verse 15 and 16. It says, Let us continually offer offer to God a sacrifice of praise, and do not forget to do good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. That one. Dr. Bruce Leaford clearly and beautifully, this is actually my favorite definitions, defines worship as centering man's attention and heart's affection on the Lord. Jesus tells us through the conversation um, with the woman at the well in Luke 4 that we are to worship in spirit and truth. Truth meaning that we can't worship a God that we do not know, and spirit means since the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are not, our worship is not confined to like a physical location, but rather worship takes place in the heart. Therefore, worship can be seen as the fruits on our lips. But as you very well know, there's no fruit without any roots. And that's what Matthew 15 says, uh, sorry, Matthew 15:18. That whatever comes from the mouth is from the heart. So you can clearly see that worship is a hot matter. It starts in the heart and overflows into our lives. The more love we have in our hearts for him, the more we want to serve him out of that love. But now we can see that surrender and worship to God can be broken up into praising him and serving him. We worship God because he's worthy of our worship. He's not only our creator, our heavenly father, our king, our lord, our friend, but he's also our living and never-ending father. He's our protector, he's our provider, he's our counselor, he's our comforter, he's our all-knowing, all-powerful God. He has proven his faithfulness time and time again. When we enter a time of praise. We don't stand here. We don't only stand here in awe and wonder of His great holiness and power, but also to thank Him for who He is and that we get to call ourselves His son or daughter. We all worship in different ways. Some of us raise our hands. Some of us kneel. Some of us dance. Some of us lie down. It doesn't really matter how you worship. It's who you're worshiping. I don't know if you can relate to this at all, but when we're worshiping, sometimes some degree of condemnation or shame or guilt distracts you or estrange your worship. But I've got some very good news for you because Jesus closed the door on shame. He opened the door to repentance and freedom for you and me. In fact, Jesus is worthy of our worship because he freely gave us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we get to spend our whole life with him and to worship him all day long. We can enter God's presence, worship him, and have a secure, intimate, never-ending relationship with him wherever we go. Not because of our own goodness or righteousness, but because of, what the, but because of the cross. Worship is a response of what we value most. And this becomes the driving force behind all that we do. Friends, how we worship here in church, as well as in our daily life, is our response to how we respond to the cross. I read this book recently, uh, specifically on worship, and it was called The Air I Breathe. And the title made me think Like, if we, if most of us considered worship to be the one thing that we do for one hour every week, it would be like saying, okay, we're going to breathe like this and get as much air and sufficient amount. And then we are going to, we are going to hold our breath. And that breath that we had, we're going to walk throughout a week. It's going to be enough. And then when we come back, To church on a Sunday, we can breathe again. Just like from the moment God created man and you and I were given lungs from our Father to breathe every day, all day. We were created to worship all day, every day. Because the fact is we all are worshipers of something. It's what you worship is the most important thing. In Corinthians 10.31, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do to the glory of God. So clearly, worship is not bound within these walls on a Sunday. Instead, it's a choice we get to dedicate every moment to exalt God. Now, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, our worship to and relationship with God is His way of changing us and transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. Like Jesus, we aren't here to be served. But rather, we're here to serve him and to serve others. In Wesley's preach last week, he told us about how we were created uh, by God, and he put us in this garden to tend and keep. But then he gave gave us a different translation to the words tend and keep and that is to worshipfully obey. Now, I do not know the word worshipfully existed, um, but I did think it was a beautiful way of describing how you and I should be living our lives in obedience to God, for Him and for His kingdom. So, if you're wondering on how to worshipfully obey Him in your daily lives, Jesus helped me put this together for us. So, as you can see, there's an acronym for worship, and the first one is work with intention and joy. And your job is not just to pay the bills and to fill some space in your time, uh, take up some time in your day. Your work is worship. We are actually told in Colossians 3 that we are to work as if Jesus was our boss. Reading the Bible. Scripture reveals the truth of God and how He desires to change our minds, our hearts, and our lives. Spreading the gospel to those around us. Let's be honest, <laughs> the good news is too good for us to, uh, to keep to ourselves. Have and grow a continuous relationship with God. Inviting Him to your daily life and let His Spirit lead you and guide you in whatever that you do imitate Jesus depend on God help those in need live in humility treat and love others sorry speak and treat others in love forgive others and live a life of grace and the last one pray to God and pray with others and for others as you can see worship we worship here, sorry, as you can see, in here we worship him. And in the main day, we worship him. Why? (laughs) Because we have decided we have this opportunity to submit and surrender our lives to him. So our attention, our hearts, our priorities, our plans, concerns, dreams, hopes, and even our fears, basically our whole life. Because it's not about us. It's about him. As I come to a close, I trust that I encourage some of you and maybe served as a reminder to live like Daniel, to see that worship is not just singing songs of praise. It's got to do with the state and posture of your heart, and it's integrated into how that you live, sorry, it's integrated into how you live your life as a Jesus follower. Jesus hasn't created us and doesn't desire for us to give him all the praise that he deserves on a Monday morning. And they walk out those doors as if he's, and live our lives as if he's not the Lord of our life. God is worthy of not just your Sunday praise. He's worthy of your whole week worship. Thank you.
1: Hello. Can you guys hear me? Yes. So, I'm Liv, um, and it's so cool to be sharing this morning. I also just want to say it's so cool to see so many young people. Um, I do remember a time when I was one of the only youngsters in Emmanuel with Jaden and Luke and the other pastors' kids. But um, it's so cool. It's so cool to see what God is doing. Um, yeah, and it's such a privilege to share. And I also, just feel to share. I had a dream last night, and I only re- registered while I was getting ready, um, and I dreamt that before the service, I was in the bathroom, and I met up with some girl in the bathroom who was crying, and um, she she just had so many misconceptions about God as a father, and um, then after the service, that was um, just redefined for her, and I do feel like there's someone here, whether it's this service or the next service or online, there's someone who needs to hear this message or Jess's message or Brett's message. Um, And yeah, I just, I just wanted to share that because I think it's faith building. Um, So what I want to share today is something God's been speaking to me a lot about, which is how God is a God who pursues and he's a compassionate father. Everyone who has met Jesus has a story somehow of how God has pursued them in some way. Um, Even everyone sitting here, whether you're saved or not, God brought you here. That wasn't just coincidence, that was God pursuing your heart. Um, and I think it's so cool because God seeks after us because He wants abundant life for us and He wants a relationship with us. Uh, even my life is a personal testimony of God's pursuit of my heart. I used to be absolutely riddled with anxiety as a small kid, um, even in matric, I couldn't even finish my impromptu English, oral. the teacher had to ask me to sit down because um, I kept saying like and um, and, and then, but it's so cool that God has graced us each to, to do his ministry, um, and so this is a testimony of God pursuing my heart. Um, from the beginning, with Adam and Eve, there's always been a story of pursuit, We often view the Bible as the story of God, but the truth is there's no beginning and end to God, and therefore the Bible isn't the story of God, but rather the story of how God pursued us. God made man, the subject of his love, to have relationship with us, just as Adam and Eve had in the garden. Then they sinned, they felt naked and ashamed and God went after them in the garden asking where are you, where are you? But God being all-knowing definitely already knew where they were but was giving them an opportunity to come to Him. When When God found them, what followed was the first act of grace and God covered them in their nakedness and their shame with animal skins that He created for them. It's so beautiful how this is a foreshadowing for the rest of scripture and perfectly encompasses God's compassion for us. Oftentimes we think that God is sitting in heaven next to Jesus, just chilling, waiting for us to come to him. But I do feel that God is so in the details of each of our lives that he wants to pursue us because he cares so much about the individual. Jesus won the victory on the cross and restored back Restored man back into relationship with God, but we see in scripture, and I've heard countless times, where God is still pursuing the heart of the individual. Out of love and compassion, he longs for his children to know him. Hold on a second. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4 says, Who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? In Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares three parables in a row um, along the same theme. And I thought when I read that, I thought that was not coincidence. Jesus was definitely trying to emphasize something. Jesus was communicating God's love and compassion for his people and how that drives him to action in pursuit with the end goal always being belonging and restoring our relationship back to God. So the parable of the lost sheep. Oh, wait, I didn't read it yet. <laughs> um, Luke fifteen three to five. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. So the first part, what man of you? Jesus was appealing to the earthly love and compassion that even man experiences to show them that God's heart is for pursuit. If even man would go after the lost sheep, how much more would God have love and compassion to pursue one of his lost children? The second part that I thought was needing to be emphasized was go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Jesus was illustrating the act of pursuit. He goes after the lost, but also with purpose. God goes after the lost, not just a half-hearted attempt, but until the lost is found. It shows intention. And then lastly, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. The shepherd does the saving. Just as Jesus saved us on the cross, the shepherd has done the saving. And then the rejoicing, I felt, is just evidence of the Father's love. Who rejoices for someone or something they don't particularly love? And so that rejoicing, that joy, is a bubbling over of God's love and compassion. The lost coin, the second parable right after that one, uh, Luke fifteen eight to 10. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she, fa- she has found it, she calls together all her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents." The first part, sweep the house and seek diligently. Again, Jesus was just communicating that action that he, he seeks for you. Rejoice with me, another emphasis of God's expression of His love. And then there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner. I feel like that is not emphasized by accident, like He cares about the individual. Through these parables, Jesus was communicating that God has a real love and compassion for the individual and wants to pursue your heart. The last one is the prodigal son, Luke 15. Um, Well, just for context, for those that may not know, there's a father and two sons, and there was, um, he gave them their inheritance, the one son went and squandered it, and at some point realized, okay, I've gotta come back to my father. Um, and let me see the scripture, and he arose, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. There you can see there wasn't a thought to a grudge. There wasn't even a question of whether the son was deserving or not. Um, then instead, the father was just so overwhelmed by his love that he was so happy to get the son back. This was unbridled affection. That is uncontained, uncontrolled affection that was a result of love. Um, He didn't just say, okay, you can stay, you can have the spare room. He saw him and ran and had compassion. That was love. This is how God feels towards us. God isn't wanting you to sort out your sin first before you come to him. Jesus already dealt with your sin and the price was paid, but now God's priority is getting you back into the family of God. He has so much love for you and wants you redeemed into relationship like he designed. Luke fifteen twenty-two to 24. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And they began to celebrate. So the ring, robe and the shoes are all a symbol of belonging and acceptance and identity back into the family of God. And it's just the ring specifically is that seal of belonging, um, but the robe and the shoes also, I feel, are a bit of a dignifying aspect where, the God, where God, well, the Father, symbolizing God, had compassion and wanted to dignify His Son. Um, but that that's, just shows that that's always been God's intention. An important point to note is that it takes us recognizing God, so it took the Son recognizing that he needed to come back to his father. um, And it took Adam and Eve revealing themselves to God to receive that grace. Lastly, the cross is the epitome of God's pursuit of us. Ephesians 2 verse four to six. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And Luke ten nineteen, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. You were dead in your sin, but God came looking for you. A dead man can't do much, so therefore we didn't opt into this. <laughs> this was all God pursuing. It was all God's heart for us. Hebrews twelve two, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before him that's significant, but before the joy was love and compassion. God loved you so much and Jesus felt that compassion that realizing the restoration of relationship with God on the other side of the cross was brought, brought, him, brought him so much joy that he could suffer the worst of the worst for you. The cross is a finished work, yes. That means that the victory was won, the is defeated, Jesus acquired salvation for all, yet Jesus still wants everyone to be able to come to know him, and that's why he still pursues you. What a compassionate father, a father who sees each individual and loves with a love we don't understand, and somehow still pursues each of us in such a personal way. And like Jeff said, Wes preached such a powerful message last week, but something Wes touched on was how God could use angels and signs and wonders to speak to people and everything like that, and He does, but He often uses, chooses to use us. And yesterday, while I was uh, chatting with my family about all of this, we heard news of someone we didn't know, but someone was in a very hectic, life-threatening situation, and there were family and friends gathering around that person, and we were even praying for this person. We don't even know his name, but... In that moment, I was like, wow, God, this is you pursuing that man's soul and that man's heart. Um, and that was God using man to pursue man. Um, and that situation has been resolved, thank goodness, and that man is safe. But yeah, that was just such a beautiful example. And I just want to end with saying that there's so much beauty to be found in looking back at your life and seeing how God has pursued you. But also, if you don't know God, this could be me saying this, is is God pursuing you in this moment? And so I just want to say that if you do feel that is you, come to me afterwards and I'd love to pray with you. Um, Yeah, God loves you. (laughs)
2: Um, Okay, so when Jaden asked me if I wanted to talk this Sunday, um, I jumped at the opportunity. Um, And one of the reasons that I enjoy being able to speak in front of people is the preparation time for me. Because it gives me an opportunity to really dive deeply into a topic. Um, And I walk away with a lot firmer understanding of what I'll be talking on, or hopefully. Um, And fortunately enough, there was a a topic that was frustrating me um, currently. and, And it was frustrating because I felt I should have a lot better understanding on what it was. Um, And that was the topic of grace. Um, So I was fortunate enough to be brought up in a Christian home, um, and grace is such an important foundation of what it means to be a Christian and to walk out our daily life. I felt there should just be a, a quick, concise definition I could rattle off for what grace was and move on. Like it should be something firm in my understanding. And I kept on coming up and reading about grace in different contexts in the Bible, and there wasn't a quick, easy understanding coming to me. I was like, this this should be easy and concise, and it wasn't. Um, So I started looking for a definition for grace. Um, And I thought, okay, a good place to look is the the dictionary to get the definition. Um, So this is the Oxford Dictionary's definition of grace. Um, Grace, pronounced grace, one. Smoothness and elegance of movement. She moved through the water um, with effortless grace, two courteous goodwill, he had the good grace to apologize to her afterwards. So this, this didn't help me at all. <laughs> um, I, was, I was reading about how we were saved through grace, um, and I'm sure Jesus was a, a prime physical specimen, but his smooth dance moves didn't bring me <laughs> to eternal life. So what essentially, what it came out to is, okay, what I'm gonna try to do, and it might be a bit ambitious, is to try and give a concise Christian-focused definition for grace so that we can walk away at least having a starting point to try and understand what the authors of the Bible are saying to us. Um, So without further ado, grace, one, the unearned, undeserved, and unchanging favor of God. For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, Romans 3:23-24. Yeah. Um, so how much more exciting is this definition than the previous one? It's the unearned, undeserved and unchanging favor of God, His favor and love resting upon us. Um, there was a book that I was reading in preparation for this. It's called "The Attributes of God" by A.W. Pink. So if you're looking for more on the attributes of God, it's a, it's a good book. Um, and he has a very nice definition, so I'm just gonna read it verbatim here. Divine grace is the sovereign and saving favor of God, shown in the bestowment of blessings upon those who have no merit in them, and for which no compensation is demanded from them. Grace can neither be bought, earned, nor won. If it could be, it would cease to be grace. So what I love here is this, God's love and favor upon us is always upon us, and there's nothing that we can do that will take that away. Um, his, his love, kindness, blessings, his regard and favor is immovable and certain. Um, and when, you know, when I really consider this, it, it blows me away to think that you know, no matter what I do, God's love and favor, his love and favor, his grace will be upon me. Um, And the the flip side of that coin is just as amazing. So there's nothing we can do to have it been taken away. His love and regard is always upon us. But there's also nothing we can do to earn His love and regard. It's always upon us. Um, So Romans uh, 11.6 captures this really well. And it says, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So the defining characteristic of grace is that we cannot earn it. It, wouldn't, it would cease to be if we could. Um, and it's just, it's a part of God's character and an attribute of Him that His love and favor will always be resting upon us. Um, and I think an, another way of seeing grace is, is, is the blessings that He pours out upon us. And definitely, it's been touched on already today, is the, the clearest, um, the way that this is shown to us is through his greatest gift, Jesus Christ. So, God's love and favor for us is what made him send Jesus Christ to save us. Um, and again, I'm going to read straight from Ephesians. It, it summarizes better than I could. Um, so, we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace, he is so rich in kindness and love and favor that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us of our sins. He has showered His kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us His mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill His own good plan. So God knew that we would fall short and that we would sin, and He was perfectly justified in leaving it at that. He gave us the law and the law was good. But He had such love and favor for us that He gave us the gift of Jesus Christ. And that's what saved us and brought us into a new creation. Okay, so that's exciting point one. There's, there's more to come. Um, so just to summarize, um, we've gone point one, unearned, undeserved love and favor. And that's what's brought us into um, a new life and made us into new creations. And let's go. Two, grace, the empowerment from God. It is strength, courage, purpose, peace, endurance, wisdom, and power from God to help us walk as new creations in this life. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. So this was like, this was exciting. Um, So we've read in point one that He came and He saved us, He made us new creations. And here God is saying, I've made you a new creation, and now I'm going to empower you to live out... That walk. Um, So he knew that we would struggle. He knew the world is, it's a hard place to live as a new creation. And our strength will fail us. And there'll be circumstances that we can't overcome on our own. But what God is saying is, I'm going to give you, I'm going to equip and empower you to walk out as new creations. And that is also his grace. That's his grace empowering and equipping us. Um, And there, it's God saying, I have my grace, have access to infinite divine resources to get you through this life. Um, and again, there's really good examples in the Bible of this happening. So, 2 Corinthians twelve nine, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So, This is Paul speaking and Paul is saying, well, you say your grace is sufficient to walk out my life I'm just gonna rejoice I'm weak because there's gonna be more of your strength to come and take me along. So it's God saying again, I'll empower you to walk out this life. Um, Some more verses, Isaiah 43, 2. And this is just another expression of His grace as an equipping and powerful um, support for us. For when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So God, God saved us and he, turned, he made us into new creations. He then has empowered us and equipped us to walk out that life. And he has given us the strength to move on. We just have to rest in him and rest in his grace. Um, okay, and so to wrap this up, my attempt at a dictionary definition for grace. The unearned, undeserving, and unchanging favor of God. Okay? Through this, we've been saved through the gift of Christ Jesus. Empowerment from God. It is the strength, courage, purpose, peace, endurance, wisdom, and power from God to help us walk out as new creations in this life. Yeah. So I'm gonna end off there, but what I wanted to say was through this whole thing, God has humbled me as well. <laughs> like, I, I, I went out thinking I'll have a nice, concise two-definition point. And as I dug into grace more and more, there was just more and more richness. And he was essentially saying, you're, you're, you're foolishly ambitious <laughs> to, try and, uh, to try and encapsulate grace in two points. But, but what I hope this has served as is just a starting point for everyone else's Contemplation and revelations about grace, because there's so much there, and it it is—it's so exciting and beautiful and powerful. So yeah, we've been—we've been saved by God's grace, and just as we are saved, we are empowered by God's grace. Amen.